Okay, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. This is the third week in a series on prayer. And the theme for this series comes from Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And what Luke tells us about Jesus was that he was praying in a certain place because that's what Jesus did. His life while he was on this earth was saturated in prayer. So he's praying, and after he finishes praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So that's our theme this month, teach us to pray. I've mentioned each week that we're all students of prayer. Anybody who has faith in God, who is following Jesus, nobody has mastered prayer. We're all students of prayer. We're all still learning how to be formed into the image of Christ through prayer. So teach us to pray. Uh, Back in 2015, there was a national egg shortage. Anybody know that? Um, And apparently, because of that, some of the restaurants had to cut back on serving breakfast foods. So Whataburger, for a time during 2015, stopped serving breakfast at 9 a.m. And I had a friend who walked into Whataburger, didn't know about the national egg crisis, the shortage that was going on. And he walked into Whataburger at 9.15 a.m., walked up to the cash register, and he said, I would like a honey butter chicken biscuit. And the lady said, sorry, we stopped serving breakfast at 9. And he asks why. So she explains to him what's going on. And he explains to her how what he's ordering doesn't have eggs in it. And then she says, sorry, I still can't do it. Now keep in mind, the manager was standing behind her. And so they go back and forth for the next few minutes. He's like, you know, it's 9.15. I'm just 15 minutes past. Can you just do me a favor? She still wouldn't budge. So finally he gave up and he said, okay, I'll order something different. He said, do you have any leftover biscuits from breakfast? She said, let me go check. And she said, yeah. And he said, okay, I'll take a biscuit. Okay, what else? And he said, give me some chicken strips. And she's putting it on there. And he said, and would you mind adding a little honey butter to the chicken strips? And she's typing this all in the cash register. And then she goes, ah, I see what you're doing. (laughs) And then while that's happening, the manager is listening to all of this. And finally, the manager just says, just give him a honey butter chicken biscuit. So he wound up getting what he wanted because he was persistent. Sometimes persistence pays off. And as we study prayer this morning, Jesus is going to talk about prayer and persistence. So I've titled the lesson, Our Persistence or God's Goodness. What is it about prayer when it comes to us and this teaching that we're going to receive this morning from Jesus about being persistent in prayer Is it about our persistence, or is it about God's goodness, or is it both? So in Luke 11, verse 1, they say, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples to pray. And we'll read again this morning, starting in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we Uh, ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us into the time of trial. This is known traditionally as the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes I like to call it the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, just to give it a different name. They ask for Jesus to teach them how to pray, so he gives them a prayer. In the last two weeks, we've looked at this part, Luke 11, 2 through 4, and then Matthew 6, the equivalent, which Matthew gives us a few more words in the Lord's Prayer. So I have argued for the Lord's Prayer, why I think it's important and why it should shape and form our prayer life. But we're going to move on this morning to Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 
5. So let's read 5 through 8, because Jesus isn't done talking about prayer. Verse 5, he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus tells a short story, maybe a short parable if you want to call it that. And it's about a man who is apparently up or he's, he's asleep and then somebody knocks on his door and there's a traveler. And he comes to his house at midnight, so it's late. In the ancient world, people sometimes would travel at night because it was so hot during the day, and we can relate to that right now. So if they're traveling on foot, they'll travel at night, and so he arrives at someone's house at midnight, and the hospitality laws in the ancient world were strict, and you were required, you were obligated to help strangers. But this guy happens to be his friend, but he's a traveler, and so he needs to provide food and water, but he doesn't have any bread. So what does he do? He goes to his neighbor's house, and he knocks on the door at midnight. That's very bold. You know, uh, in that context, the house that Jesus has in mind, everybody would have been sleeping in the same room, probably on the floor. So for the dad to get up and to answer the door, he's probably going to wake up the rest of the family. It's going to disturb everyone. The door's locked. It's closed. They probably kept the door open during the day because there was no air conditioning, but the door's closed, it's locked, and this neighbor, this friend, comes up to the door, knocks on it, and he says, please give me some bread. And what Jesus tells us in this story is that he's going to get up and he's going to give him bread, not because they're friends, but he's going to do it because of his persistence, in verse 8. Uh, some of your versions may have it translated as boldness or shameless audacity. But if you're taking a literal translation, it's the man's persistence is why he gets up and gives him bread. So what in the world does this little story have to do with Jesus' teaching on prayer? So we learn something about God from these little examples that Jesus gives us. And what we learn about God from this example is Jesus is employing, he's using a popular teaching tactic that rabbis would use uh, where they would argue from the lesser to the greater. So what Jesus is saying is if this man will get up and give his neighbor, his friend, some bread, how much more will God provide for us? So in this teaching, we learn something about God. God is not like the sleepy neighbor. That's not what Jesus is teaching. What he's doing, and through this style of teaching and argument, is he's saying, if that will happen, how much more would God provide for us? Remember, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And as human beings, if we will provide for our neighbors at midnight, how much more will God provide for us? God is willing not only to listen, but to provide. God wants to provide for us. So we learn a little something about God, and we'll come back to that in just a few minutes, but what do we learn about us when it comes to prayer? Is Jesus teaching that the more we pray about something, the more likely we are at changing God's mind? 
Is that what he means by persistence, to just keep bugging God, like go at midnight and bang on that door, and finally, because he has to, he'll give you some, You know, what is he teaching about us when it comes to prayer? Some rabbis taught that God should not be pestered. And so in that first century context, they would teach that you should only pray three times a day. That's taken from uh, the example of Daniel from Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. I'll pray only three times a day, and more than that, you're just pestering God. But Jesus teaches what seems like the exact opposite of other rabbis, and he says, no, be persistent. Keep coming before the throne room of God. Keep praying. But why? What's the point of being persistent in prayer well, maybe, if we kind of keep in, in mind what we've talked about the last few weeks and we look at the prayer life of Jesus, maybe persistence in prayer is more about us getting aligned with what God wants. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, that's what we talked about the last two, week. it's, two weeks. It's about bending our wants towards God's wants. So we see that Jesus was persistent in his prayer life. He was consistent. He was always praying. He was always separating himself and going and praying, but then he was doing God's will. Right? So Jesus was lining, he was centering himself in the will of God through persistent prayer. So we know that being persistent in prayer is a good thing, and it may not just be so that we can get what we want, but it's so that we can understand what God wants to thank God's thoughts after him. And if we're supposed to be persistently praying, what are we praying about? What are we saying as we pray? Do we just repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over? Do we repeat other prayers that we've heard? Do we pray for our children? Do we pray for our spouse? Do we pray for, for ourselves, for our own life, our own needs, someone else's physical needs, our church? You know, what is it that we persistently pray about? On the day that Jessica and I got married, her dad performed the ceremony. Her dad was a preacher and during the ceremony, he told me something that he had already said before, but it really you know, sunk in during the ceremony. He said, we have been praying for you since the day she was born. So for 23 years, they didn't know who I was or who she was going to marry, but they began praying for their daughter and her future spouse. Praying for me and praying for her, praying for her to have the wisdom to find the right person that God would maybe desire for her to marry. You know, I don't know exactly what their prayer sounded like, but praying for something for 23 years, that's persistence in prayer. And some of you can identify with that. Maybe not necessarily for a spouse, but maybe you can identify with praying for something for a very long time. And Jesus encourages persistence in prayer. But he keeps teaching on prayer, and in chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You know, earlier this week I was having... One of those days where you're just feeling down, and I was frustrated with myself. I was frustrated with life in a lot of ways, and you know, I think everybody can feel that from time to time, especially in Texas in July because it's so hot. So whatever you're frustrated with just makes it that much worse. And so I sat down to read Luke 11, 
Because I thought, you know, we can study, I can read commentaries, I can do all this stuff, but I just want to be in the text for a little while. And as I read this, it was like I was just emotionally stirred from within. Ask, and it will be given to you. My translation says, search, and you will find. Most of your translations may say, seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. And what I realized is, what is it that we're searching for? What is it that we're knocking for? We're longing, ultimately, for God. And that's what he gives us. But Jesus promises, ask, and it will be given to you. And there's other times that we read in the New Testament and the Gospels that if we ask and we believe, we will receive what we ask for. And how often do we pray about something and we ask for it and we receive an answer to our prayer? There was a man who was stranded on an island by himself and was afraid that he was going to die on that island by himself. So he started praying for God to intervene and for God to do something. For God to rescue him, to save him somehow. And as he finishes praying, he looks up and he saw a boat coming towards him. So he starts frantically waving at the boat. And the boat acknowledges that they see him and that they're coming to rescue him. So he thinks about it while the boat's coming and he starts to pray again. And he said, God, never mind, I found a boat. He didn't think to say, wait a minute, God, you answered my prayer immediately. But how often do we pray and we ask and it's given to us and maybe it may not be the exact way that we're praying or thinking that our prayers would be answered, but God answers our prayers. He provides for us. So ask and it will be given to you. Are we thankful for the times when God answers our prayers? One of the things that I think the Spirit is teaching me over the last few years is to make sure that when God does answer my prayers that I am thankful. And there's been times in my life, just in the last few years, where I have prayed for something and in almost a way where I was even surprised that my prayer was answered and answered directly and almost immediately. So I'm learning to just be thankful. We pray, Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread and God provides that. Jesus teaches us to pray for the forgiveness of our sins, and God provides that. God answers prayers. He longs to be in our hearts. He longs to know us, and he longs to answer our prayers. But still, when we take this teaching, ask and it will be given to you, it's hard not to ask the question, what happens when we don't get what we want? Ask and it will be given to you, but sometimes we ask, And sometimes our prayers aren't answered. In the book of James, James teaches that sometimes we don't get what we ask for because we ask with the wrong motives, and sometimes that is definitely true. But what happens when we ask with the purest motives possible with our full heart and we don't receive what it is that we're requesting? There's a guy named Josh Ross who a few years ago wrote a book called Scarred Faith. And I would highly recommend that book. And in the book, he tells a story. uh, Something happened several years ago. His sister, her name was Jenny. She was 31 years old at the time. She was married and had a nine-year-old daughter. She got sick with strep throat. It got worse. She went to the hospital. And before the end of the day, she was admitted into ICU. So somehow this, what started with strep throat, is spreading throughout her blood, and she's getting worse and worse by the hour. So for the next few weeks, she was in 
a critical condition in ICU. And the way that Josh tells the story, you know, this is his sister. They're in the waiting room every day, praying. And people are praying everywhere. The waiting room would get so full that security would have to come in and ask people to leave. And they would go to another waiting room in the hospital and just keep praying. And they started a prayer movement. And over 10,000 people that they knew of were praying for Jenny's healing. And the doctors had told them that there's a very, very small chance that this infection could spread to her brain. But if it did, that would be the end. And on the 18th day of this sickness, of her being in the hospital, the doctors told the family that the infection had, had spread to her brain, and they told them, the family to prepare to go say their goodbyes. And then on the 18th day, she lost her life. And so the question that he proposes is, what happens when we ask and we don't receive what we ask for? What does that do to our soul? What does that do to our faith? Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Well, what will be given to us? Because you can't say that 10,000 people, well, they weren't praying with the right motive or the right heart. You can't say that out of 10,000 people, there wasn't one righteous person praying for her. So sometimes we pray and our prayers are answered, and sometimes we pray and we don't get what we ask for. But still, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Well, what is it that God will give us? What is it that he's teaching us to search after in prayer? So he continues his teaching on prayer in verse 11 through 13. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So it's the same teaching method from just a moment ago. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. If A is true, how much more will B be true also? As human beings with evil inclinations, we don't always have the best intentions, but we know how to provide for our children, right? If they ask for food, we're not going to play a weird, sadistic prank on them and give them a snake or a scorpion. We'll provide for our children. Well, if we know how to provide for our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to provide for us? In Matthew chapter 7, there's the equivalent teaching to this. And in Matthew 7, he says, how much more will God give good things or good gifts to those who ask? But in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, Luke has Jesus wording it a little bit differently. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So what is the good gift? According to Matthew 7, what is the good gift? What is the thing that if we ask it will be given to us? Well, according to Luke 11 verse 13, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus, if you look at all his teachings in the Gospels, he's promising when he leaves, he's going to send his spirit, the spirit of truth, the counselor, the comforter. And then throughout the New Testament, we see like in Acts chapter 2, you know, Peter is preaching the sermon and he promises that if you repent and you're baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you can see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would kind of come and rest on someone for a while and then go 
And then one of my favorite passages from the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 11, you know, Moses sees what the gift of the Holy Spirit looks like, and he tells Joshua, I wish that all of God's people had the gift of the Spirit. So what Jesus is promising is that the best gift that God could give us, the best answer to our persistent prayers, is he gives us himself. He gives us his Spirit. In that book that I mentioned, Scarred Faith, uh, Josh Ross continues that story. And, you know, I would still I would recommend the book. You can get the full story in there. But he said that that day when she passed away, they met as a family. And the one thing that they all agreed upon was that they believe that the tomb was found empty. They believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And although... What they prayed for, they didn't receive, and they don't understand, and they were hurting, and they were discouraged, but they believe ultimately in the resurrection, and they believed in Jesus. And that's what they're going to keep their hope and their faith in, and that, they promised themselves that our family will not lose faith. But he calls the book Scarred Faith, because you move forward, but then you've developed a few scars, and those scars tell a story. And one of the things that he alludes to in the book is that God may not always pull you out of the ditch, but he will get down in the ditch with you. Meaning, ask and it will be given to you. Ask, seek, knock. God gives us himself. He may not always answer our prayers the way that we want him to. We may not always be rescued the way that we want him to rescue us, but what he gives us is himself. He gives us his spirit. But even still, for some of you who are being honest, you might ask, as you look at this text, is that really the best gift that God could give us? Some of you have been in a situation where you're thinking, you know what, I think the best gift that he could give me would to actually be for someone to be healed, for yourself to be healed, right? If we're being honest, we would, maybe we would say we would rather have that. But this leads to another question, and the question that I'm always wrestling with is, do I always know what I need? Do I know what's best for me? I kind of have this limited view, like we talked about with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven reminds us that God has a much wider view than we do. When both of my children were born, like that first year of life, and it's still happening with my son, uh, there's not a lot of sleep that takes place. My daughter has improved tremendously, but with both of them, we were so sleep-deprived and so tired that we went to the doctor to tell him about our problem, and what I was expecting was some magic pill that he was going to give us so that when we go home, everybody was going to start sleeping. And with both of our kids, with the same doctor, he told us, here's what you need to do. Rock your kid to sleep, put her in the crib, turn off the monitor, and go to sleep. And each time, because he has 10 kids, and he said, that's what they did. They'll be happy to see you in the morning. They may cry a lot, but you won't hear them on the monitor. And every time he told me that, I left feeling so irritated with him. Like, you're the doctor. I came to you to give me some pills so that we can all sleep. And basically what he's telling me is there's no instant fix. He's got a lot more experience than I do. He's got a much wider view on these issues than I do. I just wanted for him to treat the symptom. But there's no instant fix to that. If he knows more than I do, how much more 
Does God know what we really need? And so a part of prayer is faith and trust. Trusting that God knows what we really need, even when we think we know what we need. And that's a hard teaching sometimes to accept. But Jesus teaches us that it's so important to pray. And he was kind of unfolding that for his disciples as they see his prayer life. They see God's kingdom coming and exploding all around them, and they wanted to pray like Jesus. But developing that kind of relationship with God is going to take persistent prayer. So we don't just come to God in the midnight emergencies like the friend who shows up knocking on the door. We come to God persistently throughout each day because ultimately that's what we really need. We need God. And God promises us, Jesus tells us, he will give us his Holy Spirit. This morning, as we've been talking about prayer, you're going to have an opportunity to spend some extra time praying if you would like. I'm going to be up front, we're going to have one of our shepherds up front with me, but what we also have is some of our elders or shepherds are going to be walking around this building, some will be in the back. And if you need to take this opportunity to pray with one of our shepherds, please do it. Or set up a time to pray and to meet later on in the week, whatever it may be. Whatever God's doing in your heart right now, you need to not just pray alone, but you need to pray with others. So I challenge you this week to pray persistently. Pray persistently with your wife if you're married. Pray persistently with your children if you have kids. Or just pray persistently. Keep coming before, the God, before God with the desire to know him. Let's stand and continue our time of worship.